Could an estate fight tear your family apart? Tune in as my guest Charles Ticker explains how mediation can mend fences and save legacies. Next on the Executor Help Podcast. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Edy. Today with me, I have Charles Ticker. He is a mediator who specializes in sibling estate disputes and is also an experienced estate litigator. He's also the author of Bobby Gets Bupkis. Charles, thanks for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. Estate, you you deal with, first off, say thanks for being here, Dave. Go ahead. I, 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 was, I was going to, but you, you kept on, I, I didn't get a chance. I was going to say, I, I didn't have a chance. So we want to do take two. No, keep going. We're gonna. We're not doing take two. We're gonna do this. Uh, uh, David, uh, great to be back. Uh, thanks for having me. After all that, that's what you come with. Okay, thanks. Anyway. Well, what do you want me to say? <laughs> all right. People are gonna say, "What is wrong with those two? Okay, for people who you're returning guest, you're one of the first returning guests I have. Season one, I had you on, and I urge people to go back and listen to why siblings fight. But I thought it would. it's time to have you back because we want to talk a little bit more about mediating estate disputes. But before we get into the meat of why you're here, can you tell a little bit more about, or for the people who are hearing you for the first time, Bobby Gets Bupkis? What was the imp- inspiration behind it? First of all, Bobby Gets Bupkis, for those listeners who might not know what Bupkis means, that's Yiddish for nothing, zilch, nada. So the premise of the book is Bobby Gets Nothing Under the Will, Bobby Gets so, you know, having done estate litigation for many, many years, you know, clients would come in and say, I guess you haven't heard this before, but this is my story. And I would have to gently explain to them that although the facts might be different, their story really wasn't unique because there are themes that reoccur over and over. And also, uh, so I thought the book would be helpful so people could identify that they're not alone when they're involved in a state dispute. They could read about how even celebrities get involved in these types of disputes. And also clients come into the process not knowing what to expect, uh, having unrealistic expectations. So the book also explains the litigation process. Uh, For example, you don't get your day in court because it could take years to get to court. Uh, And it sort of talks about the financial and uh, emotional tool that this litigation takes on the litigant. So I wrote the book uh, basically to help uh, my clients uh, through the process. But it's also um, been helpful to lawyers who are just trying to ex- explain the concepts to to their clients. I remember the first time we talked, you, you talked about how I think it was a judge who held up your book as a book that other lawyers should be reading. In terms of you, you captured what are some of the problems our uh, uh, mediators can go through. Do you remember you telling me that? Uh, yeah, I yes, I certainly remember that. I was at a conference that was about I guess four hundred lawyers in the audience and. Uh, the judge was the first speaker, and I guess I was about 10 rows from the front, and I guess he saw me, <laughs> and he just, uh, un, you know, uh, unbeknownst to me, he he, he gets, gave me this terrific plug. He says, for anyone who's doing state litigation, this is a must-read. So uh, that was really a pleasant surprise. That that stuck out, that's, uh, stood out to me, uh, stuck in my mind, that uh, that story just came up about, uh, you know, how even your own peers in the, in the, uh, in your, you know, arena of, of lawyers and judges 
that um, you get such a peer recognition. So that kudos to you. When it came to say you you specialize in um, sibling estate issues, why why siblings? Why why in that area did you? Is it is there is there a lot of um, cases that do that come across to you right now? Yeah, in my experience, the vast majority of these cases uh, involve siblings. It could be siblings uh, fighting with each other or one another, uh, or in a blended family situation, it could be siblings uh, fighting with the second spouse uh, over the estate. Um, but typically, uh, siblings are involved, not always, but I've chose that as my niche. Having said that, I am approached to do other types of mediations involving different uh, issues and different parties, but the vast majority of my work is involves siblings. I just find the, the, it fascinating. How people could be so miserable to each other and supposed to be family. Is that the fascinating part? No, I, I just find the the dynamic uh, of siblings is a very special relationship. I mean, these siblings is something you've, you've had all your life. And, and it's like, and I wrote about this in my book, it's like in our DNA to have sibling rivalry. And in some families, uh, I mean, I don't have hard stats on this, but let's say I, I feel it's about 10%. And some families the sibling rivalry goes beyond that and becomes a sibling fight because they can't control the uh, the rivalry. But the tension, I think, between siblings is always there, um, no matter uh, how peaceful the family. Uh, that's just... So I just, uh, you know, uh, I read quite a bit about it and and uh, it's just something I find really interesting. The sibling rivalry, the fights always end up in a court and it's always because of a will. So... Challenging a will is a really big, significant step. What grounds might uh, warrant a will challenge? And what advice would you give someone considering this path? So I can always speak for the jurisdiction which I practice, which is the province of Ontario. Each province is going to be somewhat different. Uh, Quebec, of course, uh, uh, with the civil code is is uh, somewhat different. Basically, there are limited grounds to challenge the will. The, the main one is the lack of testamentary capacity. That is the testator, the person who makes the will, lacks the capacity to make a will. And what does that mean? Basically, doesn't have a, an understanding of what their assets are, doesn't under, understanding of who their family are, or their likely claimants to their estate, or maybe they're suffering some sort of delusion that affects their ability to uh, to make a will. Uh, not necessarily met mental illness, but a delusion specific to to making the gift. So they have some delusion that their son uh, did something terrible and that never happened, but they have this delusion and it affects their ability to make the, uh, a will uh, that could be challenged. If the will is not properly executed, uh, if it's forged, I mean, uh, another big one is undue influence by other beneficiaries uh, that are uh, unduly influencing the parent to make a will, but that's very hard to prove. Interesting, most clients come in and say, this will is not fair. I hear this all the time. It's not fair. And that's why I want to challenge it. Unfortunately, fairness is not something that the court's going to really consider when uh, uh, in a will challenge. They're going to look at to see whether it's a valid will. In some provinces like British Columbia, fairness may be a factor where the court has a little more power to rewrite a will. But in most cases, it doesn't matter whether it's fair or not. A parent can choose to leave their money to whoever they want. Uh, subject to certain limitations, let's say if they have dependent children or you know children with special needs and that sort of thing. But typically, uh, there's the principle of testamentary freedom. Yeah, we also got a lot of I've got a lot of listeners I found out in the U.S. because we're talking you know thirty thousand feet up. 
I mean, right. the issues that we're talking about, it would depend on the state that they're also in. But the the issues in terms of why you would, you know, contest a will, why you would end up in court, they're all pretty much the same. It just depends on the state or province that you live in. That right. To, and, to and most of these grounds you will find uh, pretty well, you know, throughout North America, uh, yeah. I would say. Yeah. So at what point should someone consider coming to see a mediator, someone like you? I always advocate that parties go to mediation earlier uh, than later in most of the cases that I mediate. And maybe, would you like me to just explain a little bit what I what, what a mediator does? Um, yeah, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay. So as a mediator, my role is to assist the parties in reaching a settlement, to facilitate the discussion. I don't have any decision-making power. I'm not like a judge or an arbitrator. Mediators, they're sort of like doing shuttle diplomacy, trying to get the parties to make a deal. So when's a good time for mediation? Like I said, I think the earlier, the better, particularly if uh, a court case has already been started, because the longer they are in the process, the more money they've spent, the more time, uh, the more they get invested in their case and it, they get uh, their positions get more rich and it gets more difficult for them to move. Having said that, if you're too early, you don't have enough information. Uh, for example, recently I had to adjourn a mediation because the parties didn't even have a clear understanding of what the estate was worth. So, you know, I always talk about dividing up the pie. How do you divide up the pie when you don't know the size of the pie? So in that case, we had to adjourn the mediation so the parties could go and get some more information from the banks or whatever. So they have a better understanding of what they're fighting over. So if you really... How did they make that decision? Let's go. We know there's going to be a fight, but you don't know what you're fighting over. What what was the the thought process? The let's go get a mediator, but you don't know what you're fighting over. Well, I, I guess process? they the the lawyers thought they had enough information to go with, but then some other questions came up during the mediation where clearly enough uh, due diligence had not been done, and they had to. I said, look, you know, we we can't have a dialogue here. We're going to spend the whole day fighting about what's what's in the estate before we even talk about how we're going to divide it. Um, I think you got to do a little more homework. And another thing that people sometimes have to wait on is, you know, they might have to get a court order to get a copy of the lawyer's file, the lawyer who drafted the will, or to get the medical records, because you want to see whether or not the person had any dementia or any cognitive issues. If you don't have that information, you, you really don't have enough uh, information to have a meaningful dialogue or negotiation. Talk a little bit more about you know, why they should consider to come and see you? Well, I, I believe very strongly that mediation is the way to go in terms of resolving uh, these types of disputes. And and uh, actually, um, in Toronto uh, and, and uh, Ottawa and Windsor and Ontario, uh, estate disputes must be, uh, must go to mediation before a judge will even hear the case. And we'll probably, see, and even in jurisdictions where it's not mandatory, uh, we're seeing more and more lawyers making use of mediation. Look, mediation is saves the parties a lot of time and money because you can wait years to get to court and spend a fortune on all the court procedures. So uh, the parties will come to me. Typically, uh, they'll come to me when they already have lawyers. If they come to me and they're not represented, I usually uh, prefer that they get a lawyer or at least speak with a lawyer so they, they're, uh, they're better prepared. So uh, there's a huge advantage to saving the time. It's a private proceeding. You know, now if you go to court uh, and there's a decision, it's all over the internet forever. And who? And so I tell the parties, who wants their dirty laundry all over the internet? And uh, so it's, um, 
So that's so parties would come to me because they're they they're trying to end the dispute without you know waiting for a judge without spending all that money. And I tell the parties, ninety five percent plus of these cases are going to settle, okay, before they actually go to a full hearing. So why not try and settle it now? I can attest to that. When we had our sibling problem, it was two days before we were going to go to court, and I saw it as, are we ready to jump off this cliff? And we went to mediation. And that's what solved us, you know, solved everything and got everything put into perspective by going to the mediator. So I, I advocate that's probably the best route to go before going to blow your brains out in court and all the costs that are going to be uh, you're going to be incurred. And it also where you said, hey, you know, we had been to court a few times before and then we ended up the mediation and we had one more time we were going to end up going in court and who knows where that went. And you're right. Just because you have your day in court, it's not like on Law and Order that it's over in sixty minutes. This is right. there's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of sitting in the hallways. There's a lot of adjournments. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that people don't see. They think that well, I'm going to court at nine by eleven thirty. I should be finished. It's not like that. And so if you can get in front of a mediator, someone like yourself, you know, sit down. You might not like the other parties, but you're in one room. And they're in the other room and you have, I, I assume you go back and forth between the two. And uh... well, yeah, well, since COVID, actually, we've been do doing these mediations. And even after COVID now, we're doing these mediations for the most part on Zoom. Even and better. you can and you can set up these virtual boardrooms, breakout rooms where the parties, uh, they'll come together for the beginning, but then they go into their own little rooms with their on the screen with their lawyer and they don't see one another for the rest of the day. So I I think I've only done one in person, um, and even though our court rules are now saying mediation should be in person, the trend seems to be people prefer the convenience of doing a mediation from the comfort of their own home and not having to uh, travel and and downtown and that sort of thing. So we're doing and, it and also Zoom. be in the same room and have the uh, breathe the same air as the, the other side. <laughs> right. So it's already oh. contentious as a as and again sitting in that hallway and you're all sitting there together. Nothing grinds on you more than uh, you know having the opposing. So I, I that's even a better thing to be able to to do it on Zoom. Let me ask the question: Do most people end up fighting over a will because it's it's a surprise what's in it, or do they end up fighting uh, over things that they don't like what's in it? It's it's a combination of both surprise and disappointment. So because most parents don't discuss their estate plan with their children while they're alive, which I think is a mistake. I think they should, but a lot of parents don't want to because they, there might be something a little contentious and it's a difficult conversation, so, so they don't have it. I, I'm always advocating have the conversations um, so there won't be any surprises and they don't end up having to go you know, to court or come to the media. But what would you say to the person that knows it's going to be contentious and would rather let the paperwork do the talking as opposed to quelling those hurt feelings, getting getting the get over the jealousy and the selfishness now before they're gone, and you can say exactly what your wishes are. What would you you say well, to the person uh, who's going to be reluctant? Well, when I was uh, drafting wills, and a client would come in and they want to cut a child out of the will because whatever they had a falling out, and I said um, I would try to say, look, you understand if you go this route. The child that you think you're benefiting, the other sibling, is going to be probably faced with a, a lawsuit and and 
and, and you're causing a lot of grief and maybe you want to rethink this or maybe you want to give leave them something. So I would typically try to, to dissuade them because that's most likely going to lead to an expensive fight. But, you know, uh, sometimes, you, you know, the parents, uh, they want to do what they want to do and they'll say, it's not my problem. And this is what I want to do. Sometimes it's, it's, it's not only that leaving a child out, it could be that a child is uh, they're treating all their kids equally, but one child is actually expecting more. Let's say that child took uh, over the lion's share of caregiving for the parent, and uh, they they were expecting to be treated a little more generously than the other siblings because they took on the responsibility. Or maybe the parent said, you know, because you uh, came and looked after me, uh, I'm going to leave you the house or I'm going to do this for you. And then the parent doesn't follow through. Um, so you have the beneficiary who's surprised. And uh, that starts a will challenge. So I know some lawyers now that draft wills. If uh, if a client comes in and says, you know, uh, I'm cutting this child out. I don't want to. I don't want anything to do with him or her. And I know some lawyers who say, you know what? Go see my colleague down the street. I don't want to draft the will. Why? Because that lawyer is going to be hauled into court down the road as a witness, and they just don't want to get involved with the dispute. It's it's look. It's a difficult area as lawyers. We have to take lawyer, uh, clients' instructions. All we can do is explain the process, but if the client is capable and the client says, this is what I want to do, then the lawyer drafts the will that way. And the lawyer has to take really good notes and make sure that, you know, that, uh, that the reasons are clear, uh, uh, either in the file or in the will. That will help defend a will challenge. And if there's any question of the person's capacity, the lawyer should send that person, you know, uh, uh, to have a, an assessment done on their capacity to make a will. But that's why I got out of the drafting business, because I'd rather fight over wills than, than draft wills. But if the person's willing to go that extra smile to cut out a child, for example, why don't they have, you know, the fortitude to step up and say, hey, I'm talking to you kids, I'm gonna let you know what I did. You can get mad now, but it doesn't matter. This is how I feel and this is how I want. Why wouldn't you, you know, why wait to let the paperwork do the the uh, the talking and leave a lot of hurt feelings and court cases behind when you know full well that that's what's going to happen? Right. And you could have that difficult conversation um, before. I think it would be helpful Um uh, if someone's going to be cut out entirely, it's, you know, I don't think that will prevent a challenge necessarily. Uh, I've also written about, and another useful technique is having what we call um, a family conference. And it's really like a business meeting where, uh, let's say it's a succession plan involving a business or a cottage, and somebody's going to get different treatment in the family, that there's a formal business meeting called with an agenda, with the lawyers, with the financial advisors, and there's sort of like a mini mediation done with the parents there going over the plan. And the goal is to get everybody to buy into the plan and sign an agreement uh, that they're not going to challenge the will. So this can be done. And uh, it's not it doesn't you don't see it very often, but it's certainly a technique that people can can try. Have you recently come across any unusual cases that you can share in terms of, you know, mediating some uh, difficult sibling uh, rivalries? Certainly in the, in my practice, I've had situations where uh, children are fighting over the family business and one child, let's say, has been involved in the business and the other child hasn't. And the uh, 
the parent makes this huge gift to the child who's not in the business because they want to compensate uh, for uh, for the child who's getting the business. The child who's getting the business says, wait a minute, that's not a gift. I, I worked my butt off. I earned that business. So, you know, you see those kinds of fights. I've had fights over uh, uh, family farms where someone's been promised the family farm and they worked for nothing. And then the farm is left to all the kids and uh, and we've had to mediate that. So what I see though, when there's these fights, there's usually problems that go way back. Okay, it's not just the gift in the will. These these problems have been brewing or simmering for many, many years. Uh, and then they come to the surface. And uh, a lot of these cases that I see where there's problems, there's either no communication or miscommunication. So right. one child's being told one thing and the other child's being told something else. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's just a lack of uh, transparency. It, it sounds like there's a lack of conversations that... Yeah. People, they think in their mind they're doing the right thing, so to speak, by getting their affairs in order, but they don't take the time, the extra step to have the conversations. I mean, the TV show recently, Succession, I don't know mm -hmm. if you watched that. What was that? Yes. That was a guy that's running a, a multi-billion um, you know, business. He had four knucklehead kids. There are Three of them are involved in the business. When he passed away clearly didn't have a will and each one of them had their own understanding of what what was expected of them from the business the three of them just thought that no he said that he was leaving the business to me and then and the holograph will that he did have he named one son but he scratched it out and then put it back in so there was all this you know again lack of communication lack of having conversations so it doesn't have to come down to someone who's got a you know um you know a couple hundred thousand dollars even multi-millionaires billionaires have the same sort of problem as well there's no communication right i i haven't had the opportunity to, i think i only saw one or two episodes so I, i'm not familiar with the series but yeah. it's interesting what you just described is uh, what we see in real life too is that people like holograph will which is of course a handwritten will not type will is signed and sort of a homemade will uh, which can be a valid will but then there's specific ways of changing those holograph wills so th that uh, example underscores the need to get proper legal advice when you make a will and when you want to change your will if you try to do it on your own like you know these people go out and get these will kits for 29.95 right. as a litigator i love those will kits because it brought us a lot of business because people would mess up what was interesting about succession Again, I'm looking at, you know, could be a fan of the shows. There's the intrigue and, you know, the family fighting. But then I was looking at it from the, the will and the state and the succession. Here you had this multi-billion dollar company. He's got a holograph will. He names one son. He scratches it out. But his name is still there. And yet there's no succession plan, but he was able to say what he wanted for his funeral, which made no sense to me whatsoever. Right. So there was there was no connection, no succession for the business, but he was able to say what he wanted in his funeral and and worries to be buried and all that sort of stuff. So, again, no, no communication, no conversations. And they let the paperwork do the, the talking. And if the kids wanted to really press the issue, they could have gone to court because clearly he wanted a son and then he scratched it out, but he didn't scratch out and put any other one. So they assumed he meant to underline it. 
as opposed to scratching it out. And right, right. Not, which you yeah. in celebrity, real life celebrities, like the most one of the most recent ones, you know, Aretha Franklin's estate, where yes, absolutely this, this huge fight over which holograph will was her will, the one <laughs> in the fridge or the one in the couch, you know, like yeah. and 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 you know, here's someone that's making hundreds of millions of dollars and they and they they don't it's it's not it's not the money that they don't go to Lord. They just I, I I'll you know I'm not gonna die. I'll, I'll worry about it another time. And they create this mess. It's, you it's right. over and over. They went with they they went with the will that was in the couch. Yeah, the, and you know and and again you're talking about yes all of that uh, money because you've got royalties that are going to be coming in you know in perpetuity. Nobody spoke to her and said hey you need to get your your stuff your 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 stuff in order because it could leave a mess. Which what it ended up the kids yes they all you know it was divided up but it's not exactly what she might have wanted. Because she had so many holograph wills. Let's get back to the book for a second. Um, is there a particular chapter or section that you find that readers connect most with? I, I think they, um, they, a lot of them, I think, connect with the difficulties that they've had as children growing up. Uh, I mentioned this in my book that when you have these estate fights, they start bringing up uh, disagreements or some rather ugly incidents that might have happened while they were kids, like pets being maimed or I mean I don't want to get into it but you know stuff like that but but the other thing is uh, like the uh, the the smothers brothers always said mom always liked you best well you see this come up people really relate to that because um if they're not treated equally in the will they they have this sense that mom or dad did not love them as much um and so uh I think they uh they really relate to that um and I think they also relate to the fact that uh, estate litigation is not fun. And I mentioned that in my book. I said, you know, you're, this is not going to be uh, a happy experience for you, and you should try and get someone to help you get out of it, uh, the legal dispute as soon as possible. And I think that's what uh, most uh, clients can relate to. I was actually speaking with a friend of mine just uh, that I bumped in uh, yesterday, and he was mentioning that they had just uh, settled a uh, parents' estate dispute, which had gone on for a number of years. And he said, you know, the only people who won were the lawyers. Yeah. So uh, I said, well, you've been warned, read my book. Don't, don't, don't blow your brains out on legal costs. Is there any mediation or sibling fights that surprise you that like, wow, this is, this is something I never expected, or is it basically still come down to, you know, how kids see themselves, how their their upbringing, which has clearly scarred them for the rest of their life, that now that they're in another phase of life where they've lost a parent or parents, and but the scars that the parents might have left on them has stayed with them throughout their lives. Is, is, that, is that what a lot of people will still fight over? Because like I said, mom always liked you best. Yes, I, I think that drives a lot of these disputes, uh, certainly the emotions and uh, ex early childhood experiences that uh, that uh, affects their personality and their relationships. But I, I think in these, some of these situations where, let's see, I've seen this where parents are playing one child off the other. They'll say one thing to one child and then they'll, they'll turn around and say something to the other child. But where, where there's been this sort of uh, unhealthy uh, environment. I'm not saying you always blame the parents, but where the there's been this dysfunction in the family over many uh, years, I have this theory that what's driving this dispute, uh, even 
So is that this is the only relationship they have with their siblings. So they don't want to end the fight because if they, if they end the fight, they'll have no relationship. The only relationship they've had with their siblings uh, over the years is a negative one or one where they're fighting and not getting on. And that's the only relationship they know. And therefore, they want to continue the fight. I mean, I've, I've seen that happen. Now, sometimes siblings have gone along very well, and then something happens uh, later on in life where there's been a, uh, a falling out. But uh, that's what makes these cases difficult to, to settle, uh, because you're dealing, you really have to drill down to find out what's driving the dispute. Sure, it's about the money, but it's more than money. There's, there's this deep-seated emotion so I spend a lot of time tr trying to drill down and get some family background and and uh, build the trust of the parties. You being a mediator, that plays a really crucial role. Are there some key qualities or skills that make a mediator, mediator successful in handling a state or related uh, disputes? Yes. Uh, one, you I think you really have to come across is liking uh, liking working with people and that you're that you're approachable. It's so important to be patient and you have to be a great listener. So uh, when I'm speaking with the parties, uh, I'm going to affirm what they're saying, uh, confirm what they're saying and affirm it and say, yes, you know, I understand what you're saying, that this must have been terrible for you. And really talk a little bit about their their life growing up, because I'm trying to uh, build their trust, because until you have the they have some trust and confidence with you with you. In you, there it's going to be very difficult to get them to take the next step to move off their position and to start making compromise. So you have to be very patient, non-judgmental. And but I warned the parties that look, you know, my role as a facilitator, that's my approach. Uh, some mediators are very evaluative, they'll jump in with their opinion right away. Uh, I don't tend to do that, but I tell them, look, at the end of the day. If I see we're getting close to a settlement or a settlement's possible and we're getting bogged down, I may weigh, weigh in with my opinion, put a little pressure on, on both sides. Uh, but you um, you have to be also uh, persistent. Like uh, I've seen mediators who uh, who just don't have the patience. They'll take a couple kicks at the can and say, well, sorry, can't help you and, and, and call it a day. Um, and uh, you, you have to prepared uh, to sp spend the time. Some of these mediations go, you know, well into the late hours of the evening and sometimes even the early morning hours. So, so uh, they can be very long days. To go through the process, do both sides agree, yeah, we should go to mediation? Or is one side say, yes, we need, and the other side comes kicking and screaming and they have to be dragged to the table? Well, if it's a situation or a jurisdiction where there's mandatory mediation or where a court has ordered mediation, they have no choice. They have to show up. Having said that, my job is to keep them in the building, so to speak. They, you know, they can leave. I, I don't have any power to keep them there. But if it's a consensual mediation, then obviously everybody has to agree to go. You, you can't force someone uh, to go to mediation if, if if it's not mandatory. They have to want to. Lawyers in this area now see the benefits of mediation and are recommending it to their clients. And um, so... It, it would come down to a point of you're trying to convince them because you're basically going off into the unknown. You, I saw it as you're, you're about to jump off the cliff. If you can't come to some sort of resolution, you know, what is it you could come to that you can just both hold your noses and sign off on it. You may not like it, but it'll put an end to it or get ready to jump off the cliff 
and and leave it up to a judge and it may not right. go your way now you're you're now into the unknown it costs you a lot of money and you're now in the unknown right well you I basically I explained to the party said look you know if if you're going to settle you can't always get what you want I always quote Mick Jagger um and you have to be become compromised and everyone's going to be somewhat unhappy but if you go to court one of you is going to be really unhappy because if you lose you're going to not only probably have to be ordered to pay court costs to the other side you're going to have to pay your own lawyer um you're going to have a decision that's all over the internet forever so don't let a stranger a judge who really doesn't care about your family they're just going to rule on the facts and the law don't have a total stranger take control of your life you have a chance to take control by crafting a settlement yeah i i i know that's when the first couple of times we were in court i i'm pretty sure my parents were you know turning in their graves that uh, we're in court and i i remember sitting there and looking at the judge and the lawyers, and I'm saying, we've got three, I, I don't remember any of these people sitting at our table at Christmas, but here they are, here we are, they're making the uh, decisions on terms of the future of the family. Are there any specific tips or strategies in the book that, um, you know, someone who picks it up that they can employ when engaging in a mediation that might help them increase the likelihood of a, a successful resolution? Uh, yes, I, I think there's a, there's a few things. One, um, is to keep an open mind and be prepared to compromise and not, you know, be so in love with your case. Everyone says, oh, I'm going to win, you know, and I explain to people, you cannot predict what a judge is going to do. Uh, you can have the same facts and go in front of one judge and get one result. The next thing you're in front of another judge, you get a totally different result. So that's why cases settle because there's always that uncertainty. It's also important to, I think, choose the right type of lawyer like clients used to come in to, and see me and say like are you a shark i want a shark i said well you know sharks are very expensive if you want a shark because they just want to eat everything in sight you know they're not interested in selling if that's what you want fine but you're going to spend a lot of money and you're probably going to end up settling at some point or get a result you're not happy with and so i think they have to understand that settling is not giving up settling is not a bad thing or a sign of weakness settling is a good thing because it lets you get on with your life. Uh, and that's why I tell partners in mediation, look, if you don't have to settle, but what's what's tomorrow gonna look like for you? You know, I have people tell me in mediation that they're, they can't sleep, they can't eat, they're getting uh, skin rashes, uh, they're having heart palpitations. Uh, I said, what are you doing? You know, is you're gonna kill yourself. Like just move on with your life. And uh, people think about it. Some, and people, the cases some, people just, some people just wanna be right. I just want to be right. If I could just get in front of the court, in front of the judge, have my day in court, he's clearly going to see that we're dealing with idiots. Please, let me just have my day in court. They just want to be right. And at the, at, like you're saying, you know, what are you doing this for? It, it doesn't make sense. You have to know that you want to move on with your life and, and, and end this. But who's going to be the bigger person? Sometimes it's hard. I know it is. Yeah. And it's, it's not always what's right for the litigant, but what's also right for your family. I, I've seen uh, cases of mediation where the spouse is there pleading with the, the spouse who's involved in the dispute, you know, I'm meeting with them in, a, in their private room and the spouse is pleading with them, please settle the case. You know, I, I, I can't take this anymore. You're killing yourself. It, you're, you know, you're so obsessed with this case. They don't realize that it's affecting other relationships in their, in their life. So um, sometimes you just have to, get them to focus on, on moving forward. Yeah. 
how can people get in touch with you if they want to find a little bit more about what you do and maybe help them uh, stay away from jumping off that cliff? Uh, probably the easiest way is just to go to my website, uh, www.tickerlaw, T-I-C-K-E-R-L-A-W.com. And uh, they can get in touch uh, with me through there. We have a, a contact form and phone number and uh, probably the easiest way. It was great to have you back. We got we. There's always going to be stuff that's always going to come, so I hope to have you back in the future. Today with me has been Charles Ticker. He is a mediator who specializes in sibling estate disputes and is also an experienced estate litigator. And he's also the author of a really good book, great book, I should say, Bobby Gets Bupkis. And once again, Charles Ticker, thanks for taking the time to be here on the Executor Help podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, David. It's been great. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.